This evening I'd like to speak about faith as the ground we rest upon. In our meditation practice, as we sit here, as we go through the day, one of the things that we perhaps begin to notice, perhaps begin to stand out very clearly to us, is a sense that the ground of our experience is shifting is moving, is changing, is constantly in a process of becoming something other than it is. And in confronting this reality, as we start to see more clearly how this truth of change permeates every moment and every experience, as we start to see that none of these conditioned things are reliable, are something we could rest upon without all too quickly being ejected from or tumbled off. When we start to see that, perhaps the question comes to us, what can we rest upon? And this is a question of faith. In these teachings of the Buddha in the Pali language. The, the word that's used is the word sada, which um, most literally translated means to rest the heart upon. Translated as faith, generally, but to rest the heart upon. It's a rather beautiful expression. It evokes something, not of a a faith that suggests a blind belief in a set of ideas or viewpoints, but of something of an inner process. And it's also, I think, important to recognize in reflecting on this that this is something that is present for us and part of our day and our activities almost all the time, although perhaps we don't perceive it. Because, in fact, we cannot act without faith, without resting upon something. Often we're not conscious of doing it, but we couldn't even take a single step if there wasn't some degree of trusting, of faith in the fact that the earth would hold us up. And if there was a large body of water in front of us, we clearly wouldn't take that next step unless we were planning on getting wet. So the question is not so much do we have faith, do we have the capacity to rest our heart upon things in order to be able to live, to move, to act, to respond in this world, to practice, but what do we rest upon? And as we've spoken about already, the, the idea, the belief that happiness will be found through gaining, through, through pursuing, through avoiding experience through manipulating or controlling our life. This is often what we're resting upon in our unconscious activity, in our reactions. This is the, the basis that underpins that way of being and much of what goes on in the world. And yet, in a tradition such as this, in spiritual teachings, we're asked perhaps to rest on something different than that. And we could say 
that we're asked to rest on the wisdom of seeing the things as they are, the way things are. And to rest in compassion, insofar as the, the natural and genuine response of our heart to seeing the way things are is to wish, is the wish and the inclination, the movement to respond, to heal the suffering, to care for one's own life and the life of others. These are the places that we can learn to rest our life upon. The truth of the way things are and the genuine response to them that comes from our heart when we are open and present and connected. Now the place of, of sada, of faith, of this capacity to rest our heart upon something is very significant. It's a, it's a capacity that really stands at the beginning of the whole process of spiritual practice and without which we can't engage in it. Just as in fact we need something of that to be there before we undertake any action or response whether conscious or unconscious. But in order for us to begin meditating, for instance, we need to have some idea that maybe this might be useful. If you've got absolutely no idea or belief or sense that this could be useful, we aren't going to bother. We really aren't going to bother. That doesn't mean we're convinced or we're certain, because that's something else. But we have some sense of possibility. And then through that, we actually engage with it, we, we undertake the practice. We make an effort to, to be present, to come back. And we see that as we do that, a certain degree of mindfulness develops, of presence. We're actually able, at times and perhaps just for moments, but we are actually able to be present, to be connected to where we are. And in that we find that there's a quality to it that, that touches us, where we're kind of we're harmonized, we're, we're, we're collected, we're focused, we're no longer scattered or conflicted. And in that place of being connected, focused, grounded, we start to see what's happening. We start to see what's going on inside us and all the patterns and habits and tendencies of mind. We also start to see where they may not serve us and equally the ways of responding, the ways of being that do serve us. And this understanding reinforces the sense of faith, the ability to actually act. And these five aspects of the process, these are also representative or reflect what are known as the five spiritual faculties, these core capacities that we have for developing in the spiritual path, for progressing in the spiritual journey, which are this quality of faith, this capacity to make an effort, to actually act, to engage our energy, the mindfulness that is born through that engagement with our practice, the way in which when we are mindful and watch what's going on, we do actually find a certain degree of focus, of unity, concentration, we could say, those 
not the concentration that you get by extracting the water from tomatoes in order to make tomato concentrate, which is kind of dry and thick and not particularly um, pleasant unless you dilute it. It's a different sort of concentration. Why often we use that word in a way that suggests we kind of have to cram ourselves into a very small space? And it's not really like that. It's more like a purifying of the things that that seem to create a sense of being dispersed or fragmented. And in that, that concentration, that unification of mind, quite naturally, it is the capacity of a mind that is present and in harmony with itself that it comprehends what's going on, that wisdom begins to arise. And that wisdom confirms the initial tentative faith that we had that maybe this might be something useful to do. And so then, of course, we can practice more and the cycle moves. So this capacity to rest our heart upon something, this really stands at the beginning of the process and equally is present and needs to be part of our practice in all times. Not that we're always conscious of it or focusing on it, on it, but being aware that actually just our own trusting to some degree in the process is actually a, cru- a crucial part of it. And it's something that deepens through our willingness to stay engaged, to continue to come back, to begin again. Even when it seems like it's all falling apart, we can actually find our way back to where we are. Miraculous, really. When you consider how far away we can get, how many miles or um, years or relationships or whatever, we can be away from where we are now. And then just in a moment, like a light, when you flip the switch, the room is alight. The darkness, where did it go? Same in the mind. Sometimes it just... We're there, we're back. And from being a million miles distant or a thousand lifetimes away, we're just here again. And we start to trust that capacity as we see it happening. Perhaps tentatively at first, but we see it happening. And we start to see that resting in this capacity is actually profoundly transforming. Starting to trust Resting our heart on this capacity to be present is actually in itself a transforming experience. It is this quality that enables us to stay present in the face of fear, in the face of pain, in the face of challenge or struggle or confusion or disenchantment or the desperate urge to run screaming out the door and get to the closest shop for a bar of chocolate. People sometimes do this. Sometimes they come back afterwards as well. But sometimes we feel that energy and yet we're able to stay. And this is what of course happens most of the time. We're actually able to stay with it. Because there's something in us that's beginning to understand the transformative power of that simple intention enacted as I'm here. All this is going on. I don't even know what it is or where it's going or what it's doing to me. But I'm here. 
at some level it starts to resonate more deeply in the core of our being. And we can start to see the conditions that take us away and one of the conditions so powerfully that drives us is the the whole process of fear. How when something we are in contact with or we anticipate, we aren't actually in contact with it, but we think we might come in contact with it, it presents to us an association that's threatening, that's harmful, that's painful to experience for whatever reason it might be. And what happens is we somehow find ourselves being driven by the force of the fear into the future, trying to figure out how to stop this, how to avoid it, how to get rid of it, how to make sure it never happens again, whatever it might be. This is what fear does to us. It pushes us out of the present, into the future, looking for a solution to something that usually hasn't actually happened. And of course we spend as much time in the future looking for the solution. We equally are back in the past trying to figure out how did it happen last time? What do I have to do to make sure it doesn't happen again? What went wrong in that instant? That way that we're lost in the past and the future. But the emphasis, the focus is on what is going to happen. And yet we don't know. We don't know. With fear, if we can remember one thing about it, it will really help us. Fear is an experience that is happening now. Always this is so. It's an experience that is happening now. If we're experiencing fear, it's happening now. I'm not suggesting that when it's not happening, it's happening. But when it's happening, it's now. And it's telling us a story about a future that has not happened yet and may never do so. Mark Twain, I think it was once said, all the worst experiences of my life never actually happened. But when we forget that we're right here and now thinking about the future with fear, caught up in the story of fear, then this can be one of the worst experiences of our life, even if it doesn't happen. Because the grip of the fear is so intense and so painful. And when we don't see it, when we actually place our faith in the story it's telling us, when we believe it, which is what we do when we believe it, we're resting our heart upon the story as though it's the truth. When we do that, it has the effect of ejecting us from where we are, separating us, distancing us from our life and its immediacy, its vitality. And the sense is, I've got to protect myself. That's what the fear is now. I've got to protect myself and this is what I've got to do to protect myself. But actually, it cuts us off. It disconnects us. It doesn't protect us at all. And it's deeply painful. Can we see this process? This movement into the future born of fear that brings no relief, that promises a solution or a hopeful escape route, but is not. It's simply a further entanglement and it tends to intensify the fear. But if we can actually just trust in the remembrance, rest our heart in the and the recognition, the re- 
the understanding that it's happening now. Oh, what's happening now? Oh, oh my heart's going dum 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 dum. My stomach's going My body's all like this. And my mind is going at high speed. Oh, that's what's happening. Oh, okay. It's not very nice, is it? No, I'd like that to stop, yeah. But that doesn't make it go away. But can we see that? And from that place of seeing, just again, remember where we are. Honouring and trusting this moment as where we are. Because there ain't nowhere else we can be. There is nowhere else we can rest. It's like the process and the practice that we're engaged in, the mindfulness that we cultivate, the capacity just to be present in a simple way with what's happening, it reveals to us what's going on. We see where we hold on, where we resist, where we're chasing after, where we're running away. It shows it to us. And as we see it more clearly, it's the wisdom that reveals to us that, oh, this is painful. This really hurts. I don't like this condition. But the resolution to it, this is what we see, is not doing more of it, it's actually letting go. Letting go of the desire for conditions to be just the way I want them, different than they are. Letting go of the resistance to what is happening. Letting go back into where we are. This is what wisdom suggests to us. It's a great idea. We can talk about it for days on end. We can read about it in books. It won't make any difference if it's just an idea. I should let go, people tell me sometimes in interviews. I think, hmm, yeah, but how are you going to do that? This is where faith comes in. This is where the capacity to rest the heart comes in. Rest the heart upon our life, the truth of where we are. Because mostly we're asked to rest our heart and the truths of our life without knowing what the effect of that will be. We're asked to let go with no certainty as to result from that letting go. So it sounds like a great idea, but I don't think I want to do it because I don't know what's going to happen. It involves letting go. And I don't want to let go. I can see it's a good idea, but I don't want to. There's a great story told by a Christian mystic, Anthony DeMello, of a man who was walking along a cliff and just momentarily distracted he, he stumbled on the edge and fell there's this deep chasm and he fell for about 20-30 feet before catching just on the branch of a tree that was growing out of the cliff and there was another 70-80 feet to go below him and beneath that this raging river torrent with these big sharp boulders he was holding on for dear life and just then, having been a lifelong atheist, the thought occurred to him, maybe there's a God. Maybe if there's a God, he can help, because otherwise I'm in serious trouble. So he says, God, can you hear me? No response. Nothing happened. He says, God, if you're out there, if you save me, I'll believe in you. And then this rumbling voice, that's what they all say. <laughs> he almost loses his grip and surprise. No, no, God, he says. If you're really there, if you really save me, I'll believe in you. I promise I'll believe in you. I believe in you already. I can feel it coming. 
<laughs> I've heard that before. When you're in trouble, you're all calling out, but as soon as it's over, you forget about me. No, no, God, I'm different. I really mean it. I believe in you. I do. I have faith. I trust that you'll save me, God. Will you save me? Rumbling voice. Okay, I'll save you. Let go of the branch. Let go of the branch? You think I'm crazy? (laughs) We want to know how we will be saved before we let go. And yet, it doesn't work like that. We have to actually let go into the unknown space of this moment, of what this will be, however that might be. It may not be fun, you know. Maybe God, God's plan is that, you know, after this guy hits the rocks, if he's still believing in God, he goes to heaven, according to that mythology, you know, and is saved. I think the guy had in mind that he wasn't going to hit the rocks. Of course, we have an idea of how we'd like to be saved, of what we'd like to happen if we all let go. Could it be like this? It's probably going to be comfortable, isn't it? Maybe. Maybe not. But there's only one way to find out. And it takes a a quality of faith that also has imbued in a degree of courage and a degree of just trusting in our understanding of what makes sense as a way of living, what we want our life to express, to manifest. It's like learning to trust in the way things are. That we have the situation we're here in this life and to do our best to bring forth from our being what can serve what can support the situation and to trust that essentially if we align our life with our deepest values and our best intentions our our aspirations for growing for learning for discovering freedom peace happiness whatever we might articulate it for being of service to others for contributing to the well-being of this world these these qualities which I think we all have within us movement that I think we all share, which is quite natural actually. They're often buried under unfortunate mounds of pressure and conditioning and habit. This this wholesome intention of life to engage with what it means to be here and yet not know what that will bring or how that will be in the next moment, let alone the end of this retreat or the end of our life. A few weeks ago, in fact I think it was the first week of April, I was part of and somewhat leading I guess a, a group of, of people, mainly Israelis, who had decided, who had undertaken to walk as a, a gesture and an expression of the wish for peace, to walk from one side of Israel to the other. And it was uh, organised by a group of uh, 
meditators and uh, many participants were from that world, though quite a number also from others. And it was planned about uh, six, eight months ago when things in Israel, Palestine and that region were pretty tragic and desperate but certainly a lot less intense than they were at the particular time when the walk had been scheduled and uh, you may have heard or recall the uh, the week of uh, it was our Easter for them it was Passover for the Jews when there was a suicide bomb every day for a week in that country and there were equally pretty intense and uh, violent uh, incursions of the Israeli army into the Palestinian territory, occupied territory. And so when we arrived, when I flew to Israel for this walk, the level of fear, the level of terror, in fact, was so thick, so tangible. And the whole country, all the people, seemed like they were in trauma. And I arrived having seen the news, feeling somewhat apprehensive, but having made the commitment to do this, as a wishing to support these people in doing it. And I have family in Israel, my father's family, Jewish, lives in Tel Aviv, so I felt I had a, enough of a personal connection, and I, I teach there quite regularly. So I had a relationship to the Sangha, but really I moved, was moved to go and join this group and to give some leadership. And yet I really thought, this is a really silly idea at some level, you know, should I do this? And I went, because there was the sense of it, just an intention that to do this for peace, as an expression of peacefulness, and an expression of faith in the power of a peaceful intention, and an aspiration for the welfare, and the well-being and safety of others. And when I arrived in Israel and first met my family, and uh, then joined with the group of the organisers, it was interesting to feel just how I started to absorb the level of fear that was there. Because it was everywhere around and, you know, we're like a bit like a sponge really, you know. What you put yourself in, you start to pick up the flavour. And I started to feel like, oh, yeah, this is, this is really a, a full-on thing to do. We were going unarmed. We'd turned down the army's offer to surround us with armed soldiers for protection because it didn't really quite seem what would be in keeping with the spirit. And our intention was to walk slowly, mindfully, in a single line in silence from Jaffa, the Arab um, quarter of Tel Aviv on the Mediterranean coast across the country to Jerusalem which at that time was in the grip of pretty intense uh, fear and anger described by many as the, the worst time the country, the region had seen in 50 years and you can imagine the uh, amount of fear that was there for people the sense of we want to do this because we want our voice even in silence to be heard as a, a voice for non-violence for peacefulness for respect for dialogue and yet the prospect of going out into the we were camping walking and camping quite exposed quite vulnerable we were publicising where we were going in case anyone should wish to know and the thoughts occurred well we'd be a sitting target wouldn't we anyone wish to harm or equally if uh, whether from the uh, the fear or the fear of terror attacks from the uh, Palestinian peoples involved in that or from the uh, right-wing Jewish people who are 
regard any expression of peace as a, uh, a political statement that's unacceptable. And we walked. There's a lot to the story which I won't attempt to go into. We walked for eight days outdoors. We met with different groups and people, Arabs and Jews, Palestinians, Muslims, Christians, rabbis, imams, sheikhs. And what was really remarkable is that as soon as we got out of the the kind of confines of our minds really, but actually the confines of our safe little worlds, like the idea is that it's safe and that your houses, people spend their whole week-long holiday and they don't get so many indoors, not going out because it was too scary to go outside, not even shopping if they could help it, for their week off. And we chose to be outside, as exposed as we could be, perhaps. And yet trusting our intention, it was like making the intention we'll walk peacefully with the prayer and the hope for peace in our hearts. And you know, as soon as we started walking, it was remarkable. This group of people, we started with about 40 or 50, about 300 people walked over the total of the week, but up to about 100 at one time. That's quite a long, thin line, wandering across the country. The people reported, it was remarkable how quick it was, that when, once we started walking, the fear dissolved. It was gone. It was gone so profoundly and remarkably for these people. And even if people joined us, you know, two days in, three days in, four days in, what we found was they would come and you could tell they were coming from a place of incredible fear and tension and contraction. And we didn't know what was going to happen. We were vulnerable. And yet the fear dissolved so quickly. It's remarkable how the willingness to just engage one's life with what one believes in, which is what these people were doing, all of us, which, as I said, mainly Israeli Jews. There were a few Arabs and Palestinians that joined us and a handful of foreigners who came to join the walks especially. But this process of just going out there and doing what we could to simply be present in a way. We were simply being present for peace, walking silently across the land. That it was like a transformation in the heart for everyone involved. And not just those who were with us, but equally the people who we came into contact spoke of being touched and moved by it, of a sense of feeling hope again in, the, in some of the villages of the, uh, the, the desperately uh, poor and uh, hope-deprived Palestinians, the Arabs, and equally in the terrified and traumatized Israeli villages, where people just didn't feel safe and felt they could trust no one. Just this simple willingness of us to be present, trusting in the goodness of our intention. The last day we walked through Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was a place where not many people were going who didn't really have to. We could have chosen not to go there, but it seemed like the place to go. So much the focus of such tragic and bitter hatred and violence. And we walked down a street in which for the previous week there'd been a 
over the previous month, sorry, there'd been at least one suicide terror bomb attack every week. And these people were angry. And they wanted revenge. And they'd been, obviously, affected, hurt. And everyone knew people who'd died, been killed or injured on that street. They didn't really, many of them, think that much of what we were doing. But also there were voices that were supporters and we probably encountered equal support and criticism along the way, which is kind of the way it goes in life, I think. But not letting that be determining what our course was. It was just a very interesting process of walking with a clear intention. Coming back to it again and again. If people said, great, we stayed steady, we kept walking. If people said, you're sick, you're crazy, we kept steady, we kept walking. And to me it was a remarkable lesson in the power of an inner trust in goodness to actually overcome the fear and to actually provide protection. So who knows? I mean, obviously nothing did happen. Maybe something could have. Maybe in another situation it would. But interestingly, for the whole time we walked there wasn't a single terror bomb attack in the whole of Israel. And then a day or two after the walk finished, there were again. And during the whole time of the walk, the Israeli army were undertaking various uh, missions, activities in the Palestinian towns with quite uh, horrific results for those people affected. So it wasn't that peace miraculously appeared. And sure you know the situation continues. But at the end, there was a kind of an openness of heart and the people that gathered together, we planted a peace pole in a, in a green, in a park in Jerusalem, just outside the old city. And there was a sense of a, a trust that had been discovered again, not that we could fix this solution, this problem, because we didn't know if we could, but just a trust in life just a trust in the possibility of finding a meaningful response by just listening to where we are in our hearts and doing what we can. This is so much what we're asked to do in practice, to just be there and sense what's there, to sense where there is struggle or fear or confusion. And just see, how can I respond to this? What is possible? We can't just make it go away. We can't take an eraser or a no, a rubber and just delete this. Delete is a more sort of, you know, modern computer literate society metaphor for that. We can't just hit delete on the things we don't like. But if we actually are there and we trust in them, actually we have to trust even in these things. To rest our heart in them is to actually find the response within us of what we need. And people sometimes speak when we talk in the groups or one-to-ones of actually meeting a place that's really difficult or painful. And just in that moment having the trust to just be there with it, the faith to just let the heart rest in that condition. And often what's reported is some sense of softening or warming to or even a, a tangible sense of caring for this that had previously seemed to be so dark and difficult and only to be rejected. 
And yet we can, we can find this response within us when we trust in our life, in where we are, as the only thing we can rest our heart upon. Catherine spoke. Very much enjoyed the, sort of the metaphors with the hands last night. And I was reminded when she was speaking, just seeing, if you can see behind me, the, the Buddha rupee here sitting in what's known as the posture of fearlessness. Having my hands at the right hand. No, okay. <laughs> Not trying to imitate it, but the posture of fearlessness, presenting the open palm of the hand, which is the soft, vulnerable part of the hand. This is the other part of the hand. We're familiar with this one. But this bit is the soft bit, the tender bit, the bit that can touch things. And I was just reminded of that because that's really what we're asked to do. You know, that's what faith asks us to do. To touch our life with the tender bit of our heart, of our being. The bit that is tender because it's present, because it's open, because it doesn't presume to know what's going to happen here. So it's quivering a little bit, thinking, Aah. and that's okay. After a while we can become comfortable with that quivering because it's actually a quivering that's alive rather than us ready to fight or run away. It's just kind of there, ready to see, to resonate, to meet. quality of faith, this resting our heart upon, is actually what allows us to bring our heart into relationship with our experience. And this is part of our practice. Just as much as bringing our mind into relationship with where we are, bringing our heart into relationship with our experience. Whatever it is. By trusting that it is as it is, not by some aberration or severe mistake or because the universe has got a really bad sense of humour but because this is how things are and somehow there's something in that for us that we're being invited to learn and to grow in response to So faith is really about trusting in our being trusting in being itself in fact is a quality that we don't really possess or own and yet which we can embody, which we can access, which we can come to abide in. Our ability just to be with things. That we can actually do that. This is remarkable. Apart from being quite mysterious and unfathomable as to how it comes to happen that we're conscious at all and happen to know things. If you ever really stop and think about that, it's kind of like, how does this work? What does the scientists say? Or the religion say? It doesn't really seem like that's that likely. To be with and rest in the capacity to simply abide to observe, to meet, to touch and be touched, not to manipulate, not to control, not to fix, or even to predict, 
our experience. But to trust that the meeting will provide the place from which the needed response can come. To trust in that capacity. Not easy. But when we do it, it speaks to us of why we should. And that we can do so. And that trust, that faith deepens the more and more we're able to be present to our life as it is. And also trusting in our being, trusting in beingness, is to trust in the, the essential goodness of it. Which when we look into a world full of violence and fear and anger and hatred and intolerance and abuse and exploitation, we sometimes maybe doubt there could be any goodness at all. And sometimes when we look at our own lives and our own hearts, we equally doubt all of that, whether we really are a nice person when we see ourselves trying to put one up on top of, put one over someone else or sort of do someone else down or reacting like this and projecting like that. So we need to come to sort of negative conclusions about ourselves. And yet, I think if we look really deeply within our hearts, what we will see, and I think we will all find this, if we can see our way to the core place in our being, is that it all moves, all of it, everything, moves out of a wish for our own well-being and the well-being of those we care for. It all comes from that. Everything we do. Unfortunately, most of it is coming from a, a blindness and a confusion about how to successfully go about serving our well-being, how to successfully go about serving the welfare of others. Or it's coming from a place of blind reaction to pain and suffering and struggle where we don't know what's happening, we can't deal with it and we're just reacting, trying to get rid of it. And the things that we've done and the things that happen in the world that cause suffering essentially come from a blindness, from a lack of seeing that actually what we need and what we're looking for is to be found within this moment where we are. And equally, the capacity to respond to the world is to be found in this place. And what it needs, equally as what we need, can be discovered through this process that we could call conscious being. Or equally, being conscious. Everything comes out of this wish for our own well-being. We get up in the morning because we think perhaps we need to. If we stay in bed, because we think perhaps we need to, because this will serve us in this moment. It's not always true, the way we perceive it, but that's kind of what's moving us at the bottom of it all. And to be able to forgive ourselves and others for the things that we and they have done that cause harm. Because we understand that it was out of blindness rather than badness. And that in our heart of hearts we still kind of have a childless, a childlike caringness that hasn't lost all of its innocence. So perhaps it's been kind of buried a little deep. And it's something we can sense. And just now before coming in I was walking around the grounds 
I saw this little rabbit. Just a little, 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 little bunny. His ears and the light was shining through his ears from the sun. That was quite. He was, or she, little bunny. Sort of, when I appeared, sort of ran a few steps away and stopped. I didn't want to frighten it, but I wanted to get closer. You know how it is. I walked really slowly and it didn't run away. I just watched it. And it's just something in me just want to pick it up and go, oh, it's all right, it's all right, don't be afraid, little bunny, tricks, 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 you know. <laughs> little bunny, little bunny. And, but realising, of course, that if I try and pick it up and cuddle it, it's going to scare the living daylights out of the poor thing, this wouldn't be a good idea. But just feeling that, thinking, oh, yeah, of course, this, this soft little furry twitchy thing in here wants to just kind of get together with that soft little furry twitchy thing out there and kind of go, oh, we're friends, aren't we? Heart of heart, core of our being, we share that aliveness together. And the, and then, rather sweetly, you know, a bigger rabbit comes out. I don't know if it was mum, but it's a bit bigger, and eventually the little one rat went over to it and sort of rubbed nose and nothing again. Oh. <laughs> and, you know, kind of sweet and kind of silly and kind of everyday in one way. And another way, just, just turning that back and just thinking, oh, don't we all notice moments like that? Isn't this something we can all relate to? Doesn't this speak to us of what's going on in there, underneath the, the busyness and the patterns and the confusion and the chaos and the fears and the wanting and all of that. And actually just bringing ourselves into presence with, into connection with, resting our heart in a way on itself, on its own nature. Because it isn't something, it's not a, it's like a little furry thing and they're going woo 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 woo. Um, that's what it feels like sometimes. And sometimes it feels like a sharp jagged thing going ah! But, um, that's also not what it is. It's just what it feels like sometimes. And just resting in that. Trusting in our life. Our life offers us what we need. It couldn't do anything other. And what we're asked is to receive that offer. Though we don't know where it takes us, we don't even know what it asks of us. <coughs> but this practice is one that leads onwards. It's one of the, the phrases used to describe the Dharma. It leads onwards. It keeps leading us onwards. It's not that we, when we rest upon somewhere, we stop there. Faith isn't, I've got here, I've arrived, and I'm staying, I like Gaia House, it's a good cushion, I'll keep the shawl, thank you, and um, you know, here for the duration. You know, that could be said like, you know, faith in my meditation. But that's not what it's about, is it? It's actually being able to trust in the life process itself. That it is actually waking up already, or we wouldn't be here. And that we are participants in that process. And that we can start to sense a, a deepening, a growing trust, a faith in our own capacity to awaken in the midst of our lives, to abide in a quality of being that is unbound and unfettered by all the things that are going on and that is so close to them that it can't be said to be at all held apart from them and yet it's not defined by them. This we can come to trust ever more deeply through our practice. To rest our heart upon life itself. 
So may we come to know through our practice true fearlessness. Born of resting in the way things are. And may all beings find freedom and peace in this world. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.